Hello, my name is Arabella Cole, and today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, verses 36 through 41. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Hey Grace242, over the past few months I've had the blessing of being able to participate in two really neat baptism experiences. The first of which was back in August. I received the blessing of baptizing Annika Lesage in the Gulf of Mexico at Surfside Christian Retreat in Panama City Beach, Florida. Annika was my first non-baby baptism, my first immersion baptism, and my first on-location baptism. So that was really cool, and I'm so grateful that those sages invited me into that experience. The other neat experience was just last month, I got to baptize my baby nephew, Graham Jobes. My sister's church is between pastors right now, so I'm grateful that her church allowed me to guest preach, and then I had the opportunity to baptize my nephew, Graham. So that was really a neat moment for us as a family. As Presbyterians in the Reformed theological tradition, last week we said that we baptize both children of believing parents and adults who believe. And in my life, I've had the opportunity to do both of those over the past few months. And then we went on last week to label the Reformed view of baptism as entrance into the community of God. As Presbyterians, we see baptism as a ritual that symbolizes one's entrance into the community that knows and loves God. At Annika's baptism, we celebrate that she's already in the family of God because she believes. Before we dunked Annika, she shouted over the roar of the ocean that Jesus is her savior, she said. She said, he washed my sins away. And for Graham, we are marking him as one who will be discipled by the community of faith to the end that someday he will enter that community when he professes faith in Jesus. Just as circumcision in the Old Testament was a ritual that symbolized one's entrance into the family of God, baptism for us is a sacrament that symbolizes one's entrance into the family of God. The Reformed position on baptism is one that emphasizes this idea of entrance into the family that knows and loves God. With that in mind, let's turn to our text today, which is Acts 2, and we'll read verses 36 to 41. And while you're turning there, let me set this up for you. Peter, having received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, is preaching to the crowds of people gathered in Jerusalem. Peter's message is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior Israel has been waiting for. Now let's pick it up in Acts 2, verse 36 to 41. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, 
Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourself from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Peter is preaching to the crowds and he's telling them, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior we've all been waiting for. And the people ask him and they say, okay, well, if that's the case, then what should we do? And Peter tells them in verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In verse 37, the people are asking, okay, well, what do we do? What's our response to this? And I want to ask the same question of us today. We've been talking about baptism last week, and now we're going to finish off our talk about baptism this week. And we look at the Reformed view of baptism as a ritual that symbolizes one's entrance into the family of God. But if that's the case, then what do we do about it? What's our response to baptism? And I'm going to answer that question with two words right up front, cleansing and commissioning. What's our response to baptism? Cleansing and commissioning. How do we apply baptism to our lives? Cleansing and commissioning. Let's look at that first word, cleansing. Peter tells the people in verse 38, repent of your sins. And then he immediately explains what repentance means. He says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Repentance is a turning away from sin and a turning toward God. We turn away from our sin and we turn toward God. And then he thematically links repentance with baptism because he says in verse 38, repent of your sins and be baptized. Baptism thematically symbolizes a cleansing. It symbolizes a washing away of sin, a cleansing of sin. In Matthew 3 verse 11, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Now at this point, we must be very careful to say that baptism thematically symbolizes the cleansing of sin. Thematically, it symbolizes the washing away of sin. The ritual of baptism does not make the cleansing of sin effective. It is merely a ritual. It is merely a symbol. And we have to be very careful to say this because this was a huge point of departure between the reformers and the Roman Catholic position on baptism. We've talked about this before, but just briefly, the Roman Catholic position on baptism is that when a child is baptized, the ritual, the sacrament of baptism, makes effective the removal of the stain of original sin. So Roman Catholics assert that the ritual of baptism actually has the power and the effectiveness to remove the state of original sin in the individual being baptized. And the reformers looked at the Catholics and said, no, only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross has the power to make the removal of sin effective. Only Jesus Christ's atonement, his death on the cross, can take sin away. Baptism is merely a symbol of the removal of sin, of the cleansing of sin. And it is Christ's death on the cross that makes that removal effective. Baptism is symbolic 
of the cleansing and washing away of sin. For Graham, as a child of believing parents, we look forward to the day when Graham will stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. And his sin at that point will have been washed away. For Annika, she already believes. So when we baptized Annika, we were celebrating something that took place in her already. We are celebrating the fact that Christ's death and resurrection, Christ's atonement on the cross, has been made effective in her life to wash the sin in her away. Peter links repentance with baptism. But repentance ought not be just a one-time thing. Repentance ought to happen over and over again. It ought to be something that we constantly do. It ought to be a habit. We ought to constantly be turning away from our sin and then turning toward God again. It ought to be something that we renew constantly. When a man and a woman get married, they say an exclusive yes to one another. The husband said yes to the wife and the wife says yes to the husband. And when they say yes to one another, they say no to everyone else. In a marriage ceremony, we celebrate one man and one woman turning away from everyone else to turn exclusively toward one another. Now imagine that marriage where they only said yes at the altar and then they never said yes to one another again. Essentially, they lived with yes to everyone else after their wedding day. Only their wedding day was a yes to one another. That wouldn't be a very strong marriage and it's bound to fail as a marriage because now they have all these other illicit lovers in their life. Now a marriage is a constant yes to your spouse and no to everybody else. Every single day you turn away from everybody else to turn toward your spouse. Sometimes I think we treat repentance like a wedding day. We said yes to God once, turned away from our sin, and now we're good. It's like we say, oh yeah, I believed in God about 10 years ago. That's when I turned away from my sin and I turned toward God. It's like, no, you need to be renewing those vows with God every single day. You need to be constantly turning away from these illicit lovers, turning away from sin and turning toward God and renewing your loyalty to God. Repentance is a constant thing, just like marriage is something that is constant. You are constantly turning away from the illicit lovers and turning toward God. What's our response to baptism? One of the words is cleansing. Baptism symbolizes a cleansing of sin, a turning away, a repentance from sin. Now look with me at our passage from last week, Colossians chapter 2, and we'll read verses 11 to 12. Paul says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. Verse 11 is a reference to circumcision because it says that Jesus cleansed us by cutting our sin away. And then verse 12 tells us that in the same way that Jesus was buried and rose to new life, in baptism, we've gone underwater to symbolize our sinful self being buried, and we've resurfaced to symbolize rising to new life. Now, let's read Colossians 2, verse 13. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Baptism is a symbolic cleansing. What's our response to baptism? cleansing and commissioning. Now let me ask you this. If baptism 
symbolizes the cleansing of sin. And if Jesus is a sinless man, if there's no sin in Jesus, then why is a sinless man, Jesus, undergoing a ritual that symbolizes the cleansing of sin? Why is a sinless man undergoing a ritual that symbolizes the washing of sin away? And I'll tell you, the answer is, Jesus is being commissioned for his earthly ministry. He is being commissioned for the mission of his Father. Let's look at this moment in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Jesus has just asked John the Baptist to baptize him. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. Did you catch why Jesus is asking John the Baptist to baptize him? And why Jesus is not accepting John's protest? Look at verse 15. It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. By being baptized, Jesus is being commissioned to carry out all that the Father's mission requires. Jesus is being commissioned in baptism to do and execute the Father's mission. Now let me ask you another question. Why the Jordan River? Why would Jesus be baptized in the Jordan River? Last week we said that the foundations of baptism span both Old and New Testaments. So come back with me to Israel's Jordan River crossing in Joshua 3.15. Now as you're turning to Joshua 3 verse 15, remember that leading up to this point, Israel has just wandered the wilderness for 40 years and now they're finally getting to cross the border and enter into the land that God had promised to them. This is like Israel turning the key to the front door of their house to take occupancy for the first time. Granted, the house is filled with wanderers and vagrants, but that's beside the point at this moment. Let's read Joshua chapter 3 and we'll read verses 14 through 17. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away to a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now look at verse 15 for a second. It says that the feet of the priests touched the water. The word touched is the Hebrew word tabal. And in the New Testament, tabal gets translated baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. In Joshua 3, Israel passes through the water into their new home. But this water passage would bookend another water passage that happened previous back in the book of Exodus. Israel has been liberated from slavery in the book of Exodus. And now God is going to bring them through the waters of the Red Sea. Let's look at Exodus 14, and we'll read verses 21 to 22. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. 
So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. God has liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt and he's passed them through the waters of the Red Sea into freedom on the other side. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we'll read verses 1 and 2 and pay close attention to how Paul theologically reflects on the Red Sea passage. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Paul uses the word baptism in his description of the Red Sea passage. Let's add all of this up, all these pieces up. In both the Red Sea crossing in Exodus and the Jordan River crossing in Joshua, both of those water passages are seen as a baptism. Israel is leaving an old life and they are passing through a baptism and they are entering a new life. They are leaving the old life for the new. In Exodus, Israel is leaving behind slavery to be renewed as God's people. In Joshua, Israel is leaving behind wilderness wandering to enter into the home promised to them. And in both instances, this was a commissioning of a renewed people for a renewed purpose. Why is Jesus being baptized in the Jordan River? Because he is being commissioned for a purpose. That purpose is to bring a new exodus, not from Egypt, but an exodus from death. His purpose is to bring a new liberation, not from wandering the wilderness, but from sin. His purpose is to bring a new salvation, not from the Egyptian army, but from sin and death. His purpose is not to bring people to the promised land of Canaan, but to the promised home in his Father's house in heaven. What's our response to baptism? Cleansing and commissioning. Baptism is a symbolic cleansing of sin but it is also a commissioning of a renewed person for a renewed purpose. Last week, we said that baptism in the Reformed view is entrance into the family of God. So if you believe in Jesus, that means that you've been adopted into God's family. You've entered God's family. And if you are part of God's family, if you are a member of God's family, your purpose then is to bring more people into God's family. As someone who has been renewed into a renewed purpose, your purpose as a member of God's family is to bring more people into God's family. Your job, therefore, is to make disciples of Jesus because when we make disciples of Jesus, more people, those disciples, are brought into the family of God. Look with me at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. And I hope you see the Great Commission with different eyes now. Because as a member of God's family, your purpose, your renewed purpose, is to bring more people into God's family by making disciples. Look at the Great Commission, hopefully with new eyes this time. Verses 18 to 20 of Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why is the word baptism 
mentioned in the Great Commission. Because as one who has entered the family of God, your job is to bring more people into the family of God. And how do you do that? By making disciples of Jesus Christ. What's our response to baptism? Cleansing and commissioning. Baptism symbolizes the cleansing of sin in our lives, and therefore our response is to routinely, repeatedly repent, turning away from our sin and turning toward God. And then once we've repented and turned toward God, now we are renewed in our purpose. We are commissioned to make disciples of Jesus Christ, to bring more people into the family of God. That's what baptism means for us. Are you treating baptism as just a one-and-done thing that happened long ago in your past that maybe many of you don't even remember? Or are you living out your baptism every single day? Is baptism a once-and-done in the past, not even going to think about it anymore thing for you? Or are you living out your baptism, repenting and making disciples of Jesus Christ? Take some time to discuss repentance and discipleship, cleansing and commissioning in your house churches. Are you doing these things in your life? Do you tend to maybe favor one over the other? Maybe you need to seek the wisdom of your house church on how to do some of these things. Maybe this is your first realization that your baptism is something that you're actually supposed to live out each and every day and you can talk more about that. Take some time to talk in your house churches. Love you, Grace 242.